TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program, Zev Brenner. It's been a while, but Max and Rose joins us, former congressman from Brooklyn and Staten Island. He's an American military officer and politician. He served from 2019 to 2021, a moderate Democrat. He served in the Committee for Homeland Security and Veterans Affairs. He served in the Biden administration as senior advisor to the U.S. Secretary of Defense for COVID-19 from January 21 to July 2021. And uh, he did receive a Bronze Star and Purple Heart for his service as an Army platoon leader in combat war in Afghanistan. In 2018, he defeated Republican Dan Donovan, and then he lost to Nicole Takalis, and he's currently looking to get back his old seat. So, Max, uh, welcome back to the program. Thank you for joining us. Hey, it is absolutely so wonderful to get the chance to chat again. I've missed our conversations. Um, this, is really, this is really a joy. So, thank you. So, what was like after being in Congress and even working for the Biden administration? So, was it a change? I know you're looking to get back, so once it's in your blood, it's always in your blood, you want to go back to it. But what was it like for that transition for you? Well, I, I got to tell you, service is what's important to me, and it was a real honor to be able to continue to serve, particularly uh, during a moment of really an unprecedented crisis in the United States of America. And being able to serve, you know, I've, I've been in the military now for over a decade, but the being able to see the ways in which our four stars operate at the highest levels in the Pentagon and our generals in general, uh, pardon the pun, um, what, what was truly, truly an honor and a privilege, irrespective of your political party or whichever, uh, you know, party you support. The way in which our military is able to take the orders of the commander in chief and execute, um, it really is something else. And what we're able to see during COVID and the ways in which the military was able to contribute to, uh, vaccination efforts and other efforts associated with the calf, uh, with, with, with the COVID, uh, with the COVID effort, um, I thought were truly, uh, truly awe-inspiring. And, and look, I, uh, it, it was a, a, a relatively short sprint. I didn't move my family down, so I was actually commuting down to Washington D.C. Were you, plan- uh, were, you plan- were you planning your comeback as you were working there? Were you thinking about no, it? Or? No, no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't anything of the like. Um, but uh, certainly, um, the hope was, and the plan was, was that uh, COVID would not be a permanent thing. And so my my hope was is that I I, I would be able to. Uh, support our, our nation during a moment of crisis. Um, so I, you know, I'd get in my, in my sob on Monday at 2 a.m. and drive down and, uh, come back Friday evening. Um, which produced a different type of strain on my family in many ways. Um, particularly my, my, my wife. Um, you know, my son is now two and a half. Um, but, uh, service, and this is why I appreciate 
coming on your show because not just you, but I know your listeners as well really value service to this country and to their communities and to their families. I've, I've been in politics now on and off for a half decade or more. Um, and the more I do it, the more I realize that we, we've got to try to play service front and center. But we live uh, in such a polarizing time where Democrats, Republicans, they don't get along. I've never seen the rancor as we're seeing today. And you're you're running in a pretty conservative district where you're running as a moderate Democrat. But there are a lot of people who are upset with Democratic Party for its woke policies, for moving so far to the left. Is it hard to run to the center because you're angering the left and the Republicans are certainly a lot more conservative in your district? Well, you know, first of all, I would qualify New York 11 as first and foremost a deeply patriotic district, um, a district that believes in the potential of this country, believes in the American dream, believes in service, strongly believes in the power of unions and the importance of enlarging the, the middle class. Um, and believes in supporting men and women in, in uniform, both at home and abroad, and supporting our civil servants, uh, you know, uh, in the city and across the country, and wants to see policy that actually works. It's a common sense uh, district, and it, it, it's what I love about this. You're 100% right that there are elements of the uh, Democratic Party um, on the far left that, that – are entirely out of the mainstream, just as, though, may I add, there are elements of the Republican Party that are entirely out of the mainstream. You know, I, I for instance, and, and part of this comes out in primaries. You know, I had a primary uh, that, that was, you know, they, they made an attempt to be well contested. Uh, you know, uh, I certainly was the one in the middle, um, and we, we won – nearly 80% of the vote in the primary um, amongst just Democratic primary voters. So I, I will continue to occupy that middle to preach the benefits of pragmatism and moderation and working across the aisle. You know, when I was in Afghanistan as an infantry platoon leader, my soldiers came from everywhere. When I say everywhere, I mean everywhere and black white jewish christian hispanic gay straight none of it mattered the mission is what mattered no one ever asked are you democrat are you republican and no one ever considered the person wearing the united states army uniform their enemy we were experiencing the enemy in the form of the taliban and al-qaeda at that point and when i consider where we are here at home right now i, I don't think of the Republican Party as my enemy. Heck, I don't think there's plenty of ways in which Nicole Maliotakis and I disagree, but I don't look at her as my evil enemy. No, I, I we, we have to come together as Americans to really overcome these really important challenges. So you're saying you don't, you don't feel Nicole, your opponent, as your enemy, you don't feel the Republicans as your enemies. So does that make it, will there still be mean-spirited ads running back and forth? Does it mean there'll be a gentler campaign? What does it mean? Well, what I think we, we need as a country is to really focus in and around the issues and to not have lies. You know, I, I put forth a pledge in my campaign, a no-lying pledge, um, whereby uh, basically, and it, it's interesting because to your viewers this will sound awfully simple, 
uh, all I've said is, is look, for the next month or so, let's just not lie. Um, and if an independent arbiter uh, deems that we have lied, you have to contribute a half a million dollars to charity. Um, no, I, I think th those types of policies would be really important in our in our campaigns. You know, I, I've, I was, you know, I've never been perfect in my life, but I, I truly uh, am always working to strive to be better. Um, well, we, we all strive to special during this time of year, a time of introspection. Let me ask you this. You were part of the Biden administration dealing with COVID when Al Sharpton st stated that President Biden said he was going to run for re-election. Re you stated that he shouldn't run for re-election. Did you get any feedback, any flack for your position? No, it, you know, um, I, I really haven't. Um, and, you know, I, I say this, it's so interesting, right? Um, like I said, I, I, I want, I got nothing to lose. I want to be open and honest here. Uh, I do believe that we need a bridge to the next generation. Um, and I, I do think that as it pertains to the democratic party across the board, that has to occur to include the house leadership. Uh, you know, the, I've long called for Nancy Pelosi to, to pass the baton as it pertains to her time as speaker. Um, and I said the same as the president, uh, and, and you know, I, I'll continue to be forthright in that position. And so I think you, your position is you don't want to see either Biden or Donald Trump run. That's exactly my position. Yes. You want the newer generation to be, part. Yes. Who, who do you see in the democratic party as being the one that is the most electable, uh, if well, Joe Biden doesn't you, run? You know, I, I'm certainly, my friend, not going to uh, hear or on any program elevate anyone to be the, the nominee in waiting in the Democratic Party. But what I will say is that there, there were really a tremendous number of young people that were elected in 2018 in the Democratic Party, many of whom came from service backgrounds who not only do I deeply respect – but really deeply love, uh, you know, folks like Alyssa Slotkin out of Michigan, Abigail Spanberger out of Virginia, Elaine Loria out of Virginia, um, who, you know, are part of this, really this effort. And there are folks across, you know, across the aisle who are doing this too, um, where you know you, you many people risked their lives for this country, and I nearly died in Afghanistan in service of our nation. Um, and, and now we're looking to continue to serve here at home, not because they want to be something, but because they want to do something. And, and that's where I think the Democratic Party is is strongest with that sentiment, with that attitude. And, and uh, I think this next generation that's coming up is perfectly poised to lead with that mentality at the highest levels of our politics. Because what I'm, what I'm hearing and seeing and reading that if President Joe Biden doesn't run for election, you know who they say may be a leading candidate, Hillary Clinton. So certainly you're dealing with the same group that's been there for decades that are looking to, again, negotiate the the the, the, the hallmarks of power in Washington, well, D.C. Well, well, look, you could say the same thing on the other side, right, that, that – uh, Donald Trump will become, you know, God knows. I mean, uh, someone who is a ex-president running again 
uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing, yeah, it seems like it, it's just the same show. Well, over if he doesn't run Ron DeSantis, who's a much younger generation, I'm, what I'm hearing is that if, if Joe Biden, the president, doesn't run again for re-election, that Hillary Clinton is looking to throw at her, and she might be the standard bear for the Democratic Party again. So you're dealing it's with crazy. the older generation as opposed to whatever you say about the Republican politics. Ron DeSantis is part of the newer generation. Yeah, look, I, I, I think that there's a lot of rumors and innuendo out there. Um, and we're, we're, But we're just going to have to see. But the, the, So let's get down to the nitty. I'm not, I'm not the guy who's going to prognosticate. Okay. But I no, words, you're not putting your hat into the ring yet. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm, so. not, I don't think I, I'm, never, I'm never running for president of the United States. I can assure you that. You know why? I'm, I'm short and I'm bald. Short, short, bald people don't get elected president. They don't run for president, all right? Well, there's always, you know, you're never in today's day and age. You know, we look beyond the labels, right? We look at uh, different ideas, and hopefully that's what we're, we're supposed to aspire to. There, there, there does need to be a Jewish president one day. I just don't think it's going to be me, my friend. So let's look at the issues. Now, you're running. It's... Uh, in parts of, you know, Brooklyn and Staten Island, the 11th Congressional District. What about, how are you reaching out, for example, to Jewish voters? Yeah, look, look, we are doing, in many ways, what we have. And I appreciate you bringing this up because Staten Island and uh, South Brooklyn um, uh, is such a vibrant and beautiful and diverse uh, Jewish community. Um, and I think what, what what's important is first of all being very visible uh, in, in the in the community, um, you know, and, and uh, having such great friends in the community, uh, you know, that you know, I'm thinking of you know my such great buddies as you know, Mendy Marajnik and Rabbi Lairfield and gosh, you know, Shimshi Jalis, Hearts of Greenfield, uh, you know, I think about Rabbi Katzman. Uh, and and it not not being just new to something right in the community, but but working constantly, um, and then also advocating for issues that are directly important to the community and and directly relevant, especially as it pertains to the federal government. You know, we're seeing this recent rise of not recent, may I add, it's but this this just virulent increase in anti-Semitic attacks re- recently. And I, uh, Congressman Richie Torres recently came out. Um, for federal uh, DOJ investigations and increased resources around these issues, this is something I often advocated. Are, are you aware? Are you aware that um, I think Dove Hyken commissioned a survey that found that almost none of those people that were arrested or indicted for anti-Semitic activities actually received any significant sentence. Right. Well, that that then something like wrong here. Something that. not kosher here. No, no, no. Look, I mean, first of all, that that speaks to in part um, the absolute urgent need to address the uh, the bail laws. And I say this as a Democrat, and I've been extraordinarily consistent in this regard, um, that we need judicial discretion uh, and we, we, we've got to roll, you know, much of that legislation back to really address this culture and cycle of recidivism and criminality. Um, but to go back to that, that's it. That's emerged in New York City. But to go back to your point as well, uh, you know, about the Jewish community in my district, uh, you know, I think that the, there's also specific policies that we need to continue to fight for. For instance, you know, I, I think it'd be important for the member of Congress in this district to advocate um, 
for the MTA to establish more direct trans transit from uh, Staten Island to Borough Park. You know, there's such con- there's such real linkages between the, those communities, uh, and, and and it's very difficult to travel uh, between the two. Um, and and you you know, it, it's also absolutely important, and something I've continued to really emphasize is. Uh, support for Israel abroad and being very direct uh, and knowledgeable about the geopolitical uh, issues of our day. Um, I, 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 want, I want to get I want to get to Israel, yeah, but before we get to that, though, crime is I think the number one issue, and of course, funding the police. We're fine. We need to do more of that. Some of your critics have said, "Well, that you've really been on the side of defunding the police." You've attended one rally. How do you respond to that? Because yeah, you I mean, sound like it, you're. It, it, this has been litigated. It's not true. It's a lie. And I, I have zero interest in it, in even giving it any oxygen. I, I've consistently and ardently fought uh, often successfully to increase funding for, for law enforcement. And, and I believe that, you know, uh, public safety is a prerequisite for so much of the things we care about to include prosperity and if we want that, we've got to fund our law enforcement, and they need—they deserve to be considering the sacrifices that they make and that their incredible service. They're deserving of far more pay and far more resources than what they get. Um, and and what, what's what's scary about this, Ev? And this is what's so scary about our politics right now. Why? Well, everyone's so afraid for times when we disagree. It's like even when we agree, they try to make it like we disagree. You know, and and it's wrong. We got to stop with this political combat in and around the areas where there's there's agreement. Let's just move on. Well, I think we live in very polarizing time, and I want to we'll touch on some more of these subjects as well. Our guest is former Congressman Max Rose. He's looking to reclaim his seat in Southern Brooklyn and Staten Island, eleventh congressional district. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is TalkLine with Zeb Braniff. He is so smart and he is so innovative and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zeb. So Zeb, Yashikach, may you go from strength to strength and keep, keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. You're listening to TalkLine with Zeb Brenner. America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Now we're back. Former Congressman Max Rose joins us. He's looking to get back his seat uh, where he served one term covering southern Brooklyn, Staten Island, the 11th Congressional District. So what are you hearing from people out there on the campaign trail? What do you see the mood how is inflation affecting the race? The latest polls show that Nicole Malatakalis is leading you by about six points. Does that concern you at all? Yeah, I mean, to, to your last point, uh, it's fascinating when it comes to polling. Uh, you know, we, we, we've, if you want to take these polls seriously, in the course of just a couple of months, we've narrowed the margin by roughly 10 points. Uh, But, you know, when I won in 2018 and perhaps one of the biggest upsets in America, most polls had me down about five or six points a couple days prior to the election. And then I won by about that same number. So I I, I trust these polls 
about as far as I could throw one of these pollsters. Um, so and that's not very far. So uh, we'll, we'll just leave that conversation at that. But the concerns that people have um, are um, certainly poignant and passionate and, and diverse, ranging from everything from uh, the short and long-term affordability crisis in the United States of America. We touched on the public safety issues. I think that there's legitimate concern about uh, our uh, democracy and our elections and the, just the basis of our you know, civil strife and making sure that we can come together as a country. Certainly, there's many people that are concerned with the issues of a woman's right to make her own reproductive health decisions. To touch, though, on the economy and particularly the area uh, of inflation, uh, you know, I think, in fact, I know, look, this is a global issue, right? There's there's no nation that really isn't dealing with really – uh, significant inflation right now. It's This is an issue that has global causes too, but it's one that demands a particularly uh, uh, significant American solution, right? And, and we, we need to lower the costs of healthcare. We need to put more money in people's pockets. I'm a huge fan, as I know many of your listeners are, of the uh, child tax credit, I think that that is something that should be permanent. In, what, what, in what, about, when, what about also tuition relief for parochial school parents? Oh so, my God, God bless you for bringing that up. It's an important God issue because uh, that's you know, the biggest look, factor. Look, also, listen, God bless you for bringing that up. I, I I really do think you know that there there needs to be efforts to make far more uh, tuition tax deductible. Um, uh, you know, and to to make sure that, you know, look, healthcare, healthcare prices are killing people. Um, as I said, I, I think that we need universal child care in, in the United States of America. These are all ways you think about what people's bills are. This is, this is really hitting people left and right. Um, and so there's nothing that this country cannot get done when we put our minds to it and when we unite. But here's the and problem, I'm Congressman, the former Congressman Max Rose. Menachem, right? Can I call you? We're, is that, we're, is, all, we're, we're old friends. We're old friends, my friend. Come on. Isn't, isn't your human name Menachem, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we'll call you Max Menachem. But, but here, here are two issues. I'll get back to the tuition in just a moment. But one of the reasons why we're going to see a higher inflation rate in the next number of weeks is because Saudi Arabia has decided with the other OPEC members, including Russia, to cut oil production by 2 million barrels a day, which means already the price of gasoline went up. It's going to keep going up. We're going to see now between Election Day that factor going to play more as far as more inflationary uh, problems. So that, I think, is going to affect the Democrats, and it may affect your race too because people are going to be paying a lot more for basic stuff because the gasoline is going up by tremendous amounts now again. Well, you know, it's interesting. Politics shouldn't matter right now, right? I'm not going to – gas prices are so significant. Very right? significant. Um, and I'm not I'm not about to turn around – and this is what I hate about politics, right? I'm not about to turn around and say, you know, 
oh, if gas prices go up, the first thing I'm going to think about is my election. We got a lot of Republicans, may I add, who when gas prices have been going down, they're secretly pissed off about it because all they want is Democrats to look bad right now. You and I both know that that's the case. But they so have no control just, over it right now because they're not in power. So, Well, let's, let, let's talk about – no, 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 come on. Did you think I acted like that when, I, when there was a Republican in the White House and the Republicans controlled the Senate when I was in Congress? No. You put the country first. That's the attitude I had when I was in Afghanistan. That's the attitude we, we need to have with legislators. We're not a parliamentary body. When you're in Congress, you're one of 435 Americans who have sworn an oath to, you know, to have this incredible privilege. You can't just say, oh, I have minority status. I can't do anything, so let me root against America. So let's actually talk about what we need to do. You are 100% right that OPEC at this moment, uh, cutting supply is a really, really scary move that they're making and america has got to utilize all of the tools at its disposal like what can it do because russia is now going to benefit from it and it seems that the president when he was in saudi arabia his the whole saudi arabia policy seems to be wrong because the, the president the president never should have gone to saudi to to kiss up to mbs like that I think we're, we're far too close to the Saudis, just like I don't think Donald Trump should have ever taken all that money from the Saudis that he has related to their golf tournament. Um, but, you know, let, let's look at the bigger picture here about what we need to be doing uh, when it comes to short term as well as long term. Should we should be getting costs. oil from Venezuela? What are your position back? No, well, like... let me, let, let, just, give, just give me a moment here. Sure. I think the issue's bigger than this, okay? The, the first is, is that. We've got to start putting more pressure on big oil, legislatively speaking, to stop the price gouging issue and to make sure that they are actually uh, doing more in terms of increasing oil and energy supply. One of the biggest unspoken issues here has been that Wall Street, alongside big oil, have actually partnered and collaborated to restrict the amount of increased energy exploration that they're doing because they're remembering back to 2015, 2016 with some of the crashes in energy prices, right? So they also have a significant influence on reducing supply, and I think it's really imperative that we issue as many incentives as possible. Should we go um, back to fracking and grant still? Should we have the Keystone Pipeline back in operation? Because yeah, yeah, that sure, was resolved uh, the issues uh, to a certain degree. I, I think that everything that we can do right now in the short term, and I say this as a Democrat, to increase the immediate carbon-based supply is absolutely essential. But over the course of the long term, Zed, we have got to make sure that as much as possible we responsibly transition to a carbon-free uh, energy base here. So imagine if we had more of our energy based in and around wind, solar, nuclear. We wouldn't worry about the decisions OPEC was making, right? We wouldn't worry about these fluctuations in a global energy market. But let me let me mention this. The first one's going to be a long time for that to take place. Oh and yeah, B no, no, no. You're a hundred percent right. There's nothing worse than when people, when the gas price is higher, right, and people are saying, "Oh, oh," but talking about alternative sources only, right? That's why I talk so much about a short term fix to address the absolute sense of urgency that people are feeling in their pocketbooks. So you like no, to see when you say you're okay with more fracking, maybe the Keystone pipeline, we should be more energy I think, I think efficient. At this point, it is absolutely imperative 
that we do what we can to increase the energy supply. And may I add that as you look at some of these things that you're bringing up, they actually represent a suitable bridge, a transition from coal, which is one of the worst contributors to climate change and pollution. And it gives us a bridge to a long-term sustainable future that's net carbon neutral. But, you know, again, I, I think back to my time in the military and as you engage in military planning. And whenever you're faced with a real threat, you got to think about the short-term solution to address the immediate crisis, stem the bleeding. But then you've got to think about that long-term solution to keep you in a greater sense of American strength for the long term. And that, that's how I'm approaching this issue, and that's how I think all legislators should. We have a few moments left. Israel is in the negotiation with Lebanon over so natural gas fields, which is a United States initiative. It looks like it's not so good for Israel. I would like to know what your position was regarding Israel and Lebanon. It looks like they were thinking for a while to give in to Hezbollah. If Hezbollah likes the deal, you know it's not going to be a good deal. And we face lots of enemies in the Middle East, Iran chief among them, and, of course, their main uh, the main sponsor, they they are the sponsor of the Hezbollah and, and Nasrallah in Lebanon. So I'm just curious to know your thoughts about what's the negotiations with the gas fields on the off the Lebanese coast in Israel. I, I really appreciate you bringing this up, and this is not something that um, is focused on nearly enough. You know, one of the just like for any uh, nation. Israel really needs to focus on diversifying its energy sources right now um, and making sure that it is it has as much access to energy as possible. And these gas fields in that maritime area are so critically important. Uh, it's one of the reasons why American leadership in the region is so critical that we've gotten this potential agreement to the place where it's at. And now you have Lebanon and really Hezbollah driving a potential endangerment of this agreement. You just had the uh, Israeli leadership come out saying that they will you know, respond aggressively to Hezbollah should they ever potentially negatively impact these, this gas exploration and this energy project because it's a critical national security interest of Israel. And I absolutely support Israel's right to protect and defend itself, and that pertains to its right to protect, and, uh, to protect its sources of energy. Very nice and to hear. So this is, a, this is about having a holistic view of Israel's right to not just exist, but to prosper as a Jewish democracy. We have a few moments left. Are there any debates scheduled between yourself and your opponent? Uh, if yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we just had one. Uh, it should be airing on CBS tomorrow, and um, uh, there will definitely be more in the future. And I'm looking forward to, to a real conversation about the issues. And we look forward to having you back again. But I, was, but I asked you last time when you ran, I asked all political candidates, now you, among the groups that you have, of course, to go campaigning is among the Jewish community. This is the toughest question of the interview so far. What is your favorite Jewish food in the campaign trail? When you go to these events, <laughs> you know, listen, I, I'm not sure how often they serve uh, matzo ball soup on the campaign trail. <laughs> I haven't seen it too often, but it is above and beyond my favorite, my favorite uh, food. Terrific! Look, look forward to having you back. Thank you for joining us. Thanks again, my friend. Menachem Max Rose. Conversation. Terrific! Former congressman, um, looking to get back his old seat in Southern Brooklyn and Staten Island. Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. 
For continuous Jewish programs, hawklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the thetalklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 